This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday. Time to check in with our Zoomer squad. Today, Canadians can start applying for the new caregiver benefit, and it looks like it applies if you're caring for an elder loved one, but only on certain conditions. So we'll drill down. And we will also get to the squad's take on new visitor restrictions in long-term care and the additional funding that was announced last week by the Ford government. Long-term care residents here in Ontario have also testified at an independent inquiry into the crisis, and the stories being told are harrowing, to put it mildly. One resident in a Toronto nursing home described it this way, quote, now when I see these dog cages on TV for stray animals, I see myself as one of those neglected, filthy, and starving for love and affection little critters. How sad is that? Let us begin there. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now, let's go to David Kravitz. Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, and Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hey, guys, how are you? Hi, Libby. Hi, we're good. Good. So let us start with some of that testimony. Uh, Not a surprise, but still uh, hard to hear. You're absolutely uh, right. Uh, Not a surprise, but uh, such sad stories. uh, uh, we're hearing just underlining the concern that CARP has had for so long about the uh, effects of the lockdown on our older adult uh, family and friends. Mm-hmm. And so it's they're not only talking about the neglect they suffered, and we heard horrible stories about people being left in their beds for days, not changed, uh, just awful stories. And, and we've seen uh, the decline in so many people that were were kind of okay beforehand and uh, have really deteriorated, not just because of physical neglect, but also because of loneliness, David. That's absolutely true. And I think these stories are important because anything that puts the personal the personal into the picture as opposed to the statistical is very, very valuable. I mean, the statistics are what we talk about a lot. We should, because the big numbers is what gets attention and what forces the politicians to uh, maybe react. But at the end, it's a series of individual tragedies in a system that should have done better. There was no reason uh, for many of these deaths, and there was certainly no reason for for the neglect along the way. So, you know, doubly harrowing. And I think these stories are vitally important in in uh, getting the attention of the policymakers as to where we go from here. I, I don't know. I, I kind of get a sense that it was 
so front and center for so many months. Uh, I have a sense now that it's it's kind of not it's it's not being heard in the midst of all the noise and and the latest developments. You know, between the second wave and the U.S. election, I, am I uh, being uh, overly pessimistic about this, Bill? I don't think so. Uh, It's almost like it's becoming normalized. When you hear this kind of thing for a long time, you begin to get uh, used to it. And and, uh, I think that's part of the uh, problem. You know, when we heard the the testimony using words like lonely, muzzled, trapped, depressed, as David said, that's what starts to bring it home again. I think we had had forgotten, and all we were looking at was numbers and not realizing the effect uh, that it had on those uh, who were still alive in our uh, in our long term care facilities. You know, we do know we've 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 known for for years. All the experts tell us that the two things that are important to keep older people alive and functioning uh, both medically and physically is they have to be active physically and they have to be active mentally. And both of these have been taken away from uh, our uh, older adult friends and relatives living in in long-term care who, uh, you know, uh, under regulations that were so-called for their own protection but were so draconian uh, that they caused this kind of... uh, kind of result and we become inured to it and we uh, that's why it's so important that we hear these real stories from real people uh yeah and uh i'd like to give the numbers out again because we'd like to hear from so-called real people we're real too uh about their experiences 416-360-0740 toll free 1-866-740-4740 and david we saw some changes to the rules for visiting people in long-term care and I'm wondering if you think they are going back to something that is too restrictive or or whether they're a, a good response. So the restriction is on people who are actually just visiting, but they're saying every person in long-term care can have two designated caregivers and those people can come and go as they wish. Well, I think, I think it's important... Um uh, to put this, uh, I'm, I'm struggling for some perspective here, quite honestly, Libby, because we've every week it seems there's a new rule, there's a regulation, and we're, we're we're being asked to make sense of a constantly changing landscape. I do feel they are trying to be responsive to what uh, uh, seems like the best plan at any given moment, given the state of infections, medical knowledge, treatment, and so on. We did have quite a long time, I remember, several weeks on this show, where there was a complaint about not being allowed more than uh, one visitor and caregivers not being allowed. And I remember a couple of callers where they themselves had mobility problems in visiting their loved ones, and they needed the caregiver to help them get in and out. So anything that is a bit more responsive to the real needs of uh, the folks I think is good, but I think we also have to recognize that the landscape is changing so quickly and the policy announcements are coming so thick and fast that, uh, you know, today's story may be uh, tomorrow's memory, frankly. And uh, I think they're trying, but I, I, I can't definitively say this is the right answer and there isn't a better way that they might find tomorrow. Uh, Bill, do you agree with that? 
I, I do agree uh, with uh, Dave's assessment, but I also uh, know that we're hearing from uh, CARP members and others that even though the province keeps uh, uh, changing the uh, regulations, uh, the way they're interpreted home by home is, is often very different, uh, too. And uh, the, the uh, long-term care facility can use uh, local uh, situations as a way not to allow as much access as perhaps the regulations uh, might say. So they're not being uh, uh, applied as, as well as many of our members would like them to be. And there's another wrinkle. Now, I, I don't want to get into this because we're going to be dealing with it in the back half, but you have to have a, a test that's current to two weeks. And the testing backlog is incredible at this point, at least the results backlog. So, I mean, that is a whole other thing. The results backlog is huge. And the uh, the validity, I don't want to say the validity of the testing, but, you know, the sensitivity of the testing, who's getting it, how many they're getting, where you are in the in the pipeline, that's also quite, quite varied. So uh, the, what Bill said just underscores what's been emerging in the past several weeks here is that the pressure is moving on to the individual, for good or ill, to really keep up with what's going on and make the best decisions you can within the limits that you have, because it is not going to be one size fits all by, by certainly by the country, by the province, or even by the locality, or even as Bill pointed out, by the individual uh, nursing home. So there's more pressure on us to try to navigate this glut of information, much of it self-contradictory and conflicting, and it's very, very difficult, I think. Okay, let us take a call from Sheila in Elliston. Hello, Sheila. Hello, hi. Um, yeah, my question is, um, how has basic nursing care improved in the care homes since the military report came out? Um, that's a very good question. Sheila, I'm going to let you go because there's noise on your line, and uh, I will ask the guys to take that up. Thanks for your call. Great. Thanks very much. Okay. Do we even know? I mean, uh, part of the announcements from last week were uh, a little bump in pay for personal support workers that were in very short supply, another temporary one. Uh, so do we know how much, if at all, things have improved inside those homes? Well, Libby, we do know in some cases that they haven't improved. We've had... Uh uh, CART members and others tell us people who actually work in the long-term care homes that although there was a slight uptick in the extra help and, and extra support they got in the beginning that uh, things are now uh, uh, back to where they were before or even worse, especially in terms of staffing where staff are getting uh, burned out that money isn't uh, isn't the only answer. A few dollars uh, an hour and a paycheck is not going to make the difference when you don't even have the bodies uh, to come in. And when you took the uh, 
volunteer caregivers out of the picture and we're relying only on staff, as we still are for the uh, most part, except for the slight increase of two people being able to go in uh, to help when they're able, uh, we're we're being told that uh, uh, from the frontline point of view, there have not been great improvements, certainly not the improvements we would have expected after six months of experience. Hmm. That's for sure. Very... We had a call last week uh, on this program, Libby. I think uh, you were you were when uh, Jane uh, Brown was the host, but we had a, a woman calling who's a personal care worker in a nursing home who said that there's been literally no change in her working environment, except perhaps a little bit more of the um, you know personal protective equipment, but the shifts, the workload. The uh, the overtaxing of the workers, the likelihood of uh, neglect of patients due to just not enough resources has not budged, in her view. I think uh, a very chilling phone call last week. So I echo what Bill says. Well, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, last week we had the announcement of this pay bump. There's also some unhappiness because there's a, a bonus for new workers entering the workforce. But the people who've been toughing it out, they say sort of, what, what about us? We could use that money, too. Uh, so there's there's that. And it's really late in the day to be doing this. But I guess... You know, we hear these announcements and we think, okay, money is flowing, but it takes a long time to flow. And I guess they can't do anything without the money. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess the province isn't using in here anyway. It's its own money to bridge that gap. It, it, is that how you see it, Bill? Yes, uh, very much. That's, that's how we see it. We're hearing announcements which, uh, uh, from a political point of view, are, are very positive and uh, uh, would lead us to believe that the government's doing something, but the fact is on the front lines, uh, it's, it's not happening. There are not, uh, improvements and, and uh, the, some of the, uh, uh, announcements about, uh, training new, uh, new workers, that kind of thing. That's going to take months to, uh, accomplish. And what's needed is, is help immediately right now or as we go through this second wave and, Workers who are already tired are uh, burned out. We're going to lose even more. And the prospect is it's going to get worse, not better in the short run. Yeah, I guess. And uh, we now have, uh, you know, there, there, there are people in hospitals in alternative level of care. And before the last problem, a lot of them were transferred. I mean, I, it, I, it just feels like everything is going to cascade and maybe it'll hit us somewhat differently than it did the last time. But I, it's, it's hard to see that uh, we are prepared. Well, they don't seem to have spun off, and I'm, I'm talking about all governments, a discernible strategy for seniors. If you know, the one thing that has stayed consistent, to the best of my knowledge, is that the likelihood of, uh, you know, a, a fatal outcome here is still heavily, heavily, heavily concentrated in the uh, older age groups. And... um whether the testing was supposed to be just to protect the hospitals from being overloaded or whether it was supposed to yield contract uh, contact tracing to isolate the people most at risk, there doesn't seem to be a coherent 
strategy that incorporates not only nursing homes, but seniors living outside of nursing homes to say, these are the most vulnerable people. Here's the the percentage of all of our resources. We're taking this percentage to help these most vulnerable people. And that program looks like ABC. There just doesn't seem to be that uh, clarity that I can discern. Hmm. Uh, I mean, are, is CARP, for instance, proposing a solution? CARP is uh, proposing uh, a couple of solutions, and uh, both uh, both short term and uh, long term. Short term, uh, these uh, one of the solutions that we're suggesting is there has to be more consultation with the residents themselves, with the older adults and the the people who are living in in these conditions, in terms of uh, what they need and uh, more more choice in terms of the risk. Uh, that they're that they're willing to take. Also, that we have to make sure that decisions are being made according to the actual conditions in the particular home or residence, and not just broad decisions across an entire province when when that the conditions are are not the same. But in the long term, we've got to start planning now uh, to stop warehousing our older adults in these huge, uncontrollable residents. We've got to start focusing on support of home care, community care, and small option homes, not the the large ones. And unless we start planning those things now, they're not going to be happening the next time we run into this kind of uh, uh, pandemic. And and governments have to do uh, both. And governments are generally good at some some short-term work, but not good at that long-term planning. And we have to insist they start looking ahead and looking at home care and community care. Okay, I would like to turn now to the new benefits that the government is unveiling. It's, uh, you know, there's going to be a change in the CERB. And there is a, what is called a Canada Recovery Caregiving Benefit. Uh, what is a little difficult is to parse out exactly who is eligible for it. I mean, the main thing or the main situation that it was intended for are people who have to stay home to care for children because their children aren't in school or, or can't can't be wherever they're supposed to be. But, you know, I'm, I'm reading the rules on the government website and, and, you know, I'm just saying it could be a little clearer. So it's for, you know, there is already a caregiving benefit. uh, And I think that people who receive that are not eligible for this. But it's um, people who can't attend uh, their day program or a care facility is closed, or operates under an alternative schedule for that's related to COVID or the advice of a professional that they can't go because they're at risk. Uh, uh, and the people who qualify have to have made at least $5,000 and and have to have their uh, hours cut by at least 60%. So, right. uh, David, you know, yeah. is, is that, it sounds a little complicated to me. <laughs> well, it's very COVID-specific. Um, so if you're caregiving for somebody who doesn't have COVID but might be at risk 
uh, you're not getting any more help than you were before. It's just the same caregiver arrangement. Um, if you've already had to take time off work, and we know that family caregivers lose billions of dollars a year of salaries and promotions and things they can't get because they're caregiving, uh, you're not getting any more. So, I mean, I, I can't criticize it, but it is only specifically for a new situation that was caused by COVID. You now have to take 50% of your time off work to care for somebody with COVID or who can't go to some facility they used to be able to go to because of COVID. So, I mean, you can't say that that's a bad thing. But it's it's not really helping a lot of the people that are still providing uh, caregiving and maybe preventing COVID. Mm-hmm. Bill? David is uh, correct. It almost looks like uh, after hearing that there were people, uh, that there were families who were concerned with other than just children, that they kept the same wording they'd had for child care and just added the words or family member to uh, the regu- regulations. So it's, it's very uh, confusing as to whether or not it says, you know, or a family member is sick or required to quarantine. Well, is that any kind of sickness or is it just uh, COVID is in the first part of that sentence? Uh, or, and it says, or is it high risk of serious health implications because of COVID. Well, uh, you could broadly interpret that as being uh, people who are, have, are at high risk because they uh, need, need care from, uh, from a caregiver and they're an older adult. Or you could uh, say it's just COVID and they have to have COVID before you're eligible. Uh, it, it, and also, uh, they talk about uh, um, people getting 500 or a week up to a maximum of two weeks if they're unable to work half of the week uh, uh, because they're self-isolated with reasons uh, re- uh, related. Well, does that are those reasons uh, caregiving reasons or just health reasons? And it's leaving the CRA to uh, interpret it. And part of the uh, uh, release uh, from the government says that uh, make sure you file your income tax because we may want more information from you, which to me seems uh, uh, they're looking at examining cases and, and are they going to interpret after the fact, after people have gotten the money, after they've, they've spent the, the money. I'd be really worried if I was a citizen in this situation. Well, they did the same thing with the CERB, but, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly what the current care, because there is a caregiving benefit. It's not a lot of money, uh, but I think this looks better. So isn't that going to change, you know, bring about one of those situations where somebody who's been toughing it out for a long time is suddenly, you know, getting less than, than somebody who has a new situation, David? Well, that's why well, David I think, said, yeah, I think I agree with you on that. It's hard to it. Good time, luck one at a time. David, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying good luck knowing. I'm with Bill on it. The regulations can be, they leave an awful lot of... Supposing that I have an elderly relative who didn't require caregiving uh, pre-COVID, went to the store, got their stuff, and all of a sudden, uh, out of uh, fear of getting infected with COVID, I step in and uh, provide care to that person, but they never do get COVID. Um so I have prevented, in theory, a case of COVID from occurring to a highly vulnerable senior. Do I qualify for this benefit 
Yes, I do. No, I don't. I mean, the wording allows you to look at, uh, take it both ways, frankly. Yeah, I, I would get a doctor's note saying that the doctor <laughs> recommended right, yeah. that. Yeah, uh, yeah but right. uh, just to read the exceptions here, because we're running out of time, not to, this is who can't get it, not to be in receipt of the CERB, the EI emergency response benefit, that's the ERB by the way, the Canada Recovery Benefit, the Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit, Short-Term Disability Benefits, Workers' Compensation, or any EI Benefits or Quebec Parental Insurance Plan. <laughs> oh, right. my God. I, th- I think that we detail. all need to go to uh, benefit school just to get your a handle on this. will be overwhelmed by your accounting fees to figure out what this means. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, we're uh, basically running out of time here. So, Bill, what would you like to leave us with this week? Well, it's a real concern uh, this week. We've got to watch uh, carefully what uh, is happening in our own uh, in our own communities. And what I would urge uh, uh, our listeners to do is if you have concerns about these, let your local a um, member of the legislature know what you feel. It's fine for people like uh, you and David and I to, uh, uh, to express these concerns, but government says, well, that's what they do all the time. But when voters get in touch with their local uh, member and express their concerns, that's when action uh, action happens, and uh, that's how we can work. Uh, uh, join CART. Talk to your local uh, uh, elected members and let them know how much you're concerned. Okay, and David? I think I'd echo that, but I'd also say it's really now that there's so much information now, so many numbers, so much contradiction. I think that we have to concentrate on two things as individuals, protecting ourselves and protecting our loved ones, and erring on the side of caution. So may I repeat, wear a mask, wash your hands, keep your bubble intact, be very hesitant about expanding your bubble. Uh, 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 David, David I think they've just uh, told us that they don't want bubbles anymore, just to underline All the right, confusions. All right, the wrong word. I can't, I can't keep okay. up with the lingo. But, but uh, yeah, you're right. But, but that's, a, that's a good example. But I'm just saying be air on I'm the confused. side of caution as much as you can. Okay, uh, with uh, hopefully people that sorted out a little bit of confusion, but it's just coming fast and furious. So, uh, you know, everybody use your judgment and uh, listen to our expert guests. And thank you so much, David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder. Thanks, Libby. Okay. Thank you, Libby. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.